Just uh, one announcement I have to share with you this morning. The uh, New Life Christian School is having a spring raffle as one of their fundraisers. As you, I'm sure, are aware with all the the COVID situations, fundraising has not been the normal process this year, and uh, anything you can do to help would be greatly appreciated. Uh, This uh, raffle, the drawing, is going to be held on Thursday, May 13th, and there's three uh, prizes. The grand prize is $1,000, the second prize is $500, and the third prize is $200. The raffle tickets are $5 apiece, and I have Rocco's packet right here, uh, but uh, I'll give it to the grandparents if they haven't got any, you can buy them through them, but, <laughs> but Alan has handed me this, so I just uh, want you to know that these are available, and uh, it, anything you can do would really help. So... Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to be starting in the book of Isaiah. Uh, We'll be doing uh, three different messages over the next three weeks. And so, to do an overview on Isaiah in three messages is is going to be uh, difficult at best. So, uh, we'll try to to at least hit some major key points. Uh, As we open uh, the Word, uh, we'll uh, be looking at chapter 1. Of Isaiah, yes. Yeah, uh, Sherry texted us yesterday. Sherry Clapp. Her grandson is, uh, I guess, is one of the lost. There has been, and he's going through a really hard time. So she would like to pray for him. His name is Graham. Yeah. Lost his best friend. Oh, okay. Uh, well, let's take a moment and pray right now. Lord, we lift Graham up to you. Uh, he's had a, a tough time with uh, years ago losing his mom and now losing his best friend. And, and uh, we just ask that you would be with him in such a way. Lord, we know you're the only one that can actually lift him out of this, this thing and, and, and bring hope to him. And we, I know that he knows that your word. I know that he knows the teachings. He knows uh, about eternal life, all the things that go with that. But we just ask through your Holy Spirit that you would cause these things to gel and to give him hope, confidence, and then, uh, Lord, that maybe he'll even be able to to minister to some of his friends who are are experiencing the same difficulties. And we just ask a, a special blessing over him, and. Uh, we just ask as only you can to come alongside him in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. Uh, so uh, let's uh, go ahead and and uh, I should have done it right then. Uh, pray as as we open the Word together. Father, we come to the book, the prophet Isaiah, and we ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, should open our minds to understanding the key things that we need to grasp. And possibly, Lord, that that each one of us here at a different place in our walk might need to hear something slightly different. Uh, We ask that through Your Holy Spirit that would occur and that we would, uh, again, be strengthened in our walk with You. And also, uh, Lord, we we ask that uh, You would uh, give us just a, a new, fresh understanding for the book of Isaiah. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
Okay, uh, like I said, we'll be beginning in chapter 1. I'm not going to go there immediately, but I'll be there in just a a bit. But uh, I wanted to do first a a sense, uh, a reminder. Uh, And uh, there's a, a verse that I would typically use to understand that, you know, God's, that this is God's word. Uh, Isaiah is speaking God's words. He's, he's been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is guiding him. And so we'll use the term God breathed. And I'd like to share that scripture with you as we begin looking at this this, this morning. All scripture, uh, this is Paul writing to Second Timothy. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What I would like to add to that, which uh, isn't as often referred to, is from Second uh, Peter. And uh, this is Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, And in, in, uh, he's talking about the Word of God too. And he says, We have something more sure, the prophetic Word, to which you will uh, do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until your hearts, uh, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, again, I use these uh, references to, to draw our attention to as we open the book of Isaiah. Isaiah you know, is a great prophet of God. It's probably one of the best known Books, uh, it's considered a major prophet because he's one of the long books. There's five major prophets because of the length of their books, Isaiah being one. But Isaiah is just the longest book, 66 chapters. And uh, it's divided, well, I was going to say it can be divided anywhere from three to, to nine or more parts, depending on how you decide to group it. And so I decided to, to uh, uh, follow uh, Chuck Swindoll has an outline. And he did it in three parts, which was easy for me to figure out. Um, and the first part is, is chapters 1 through 39. And it's basically dealing with the king that is coming. And the second part is chapters 40 through 55 which deals with the servant, and I put in parentheses, the suffering servant. And then the third part, chapters 56 through 66, the anointed uh, conqueror. And, and so those are, the, those are going to be the, the three parts over the next three weeks. Uh, I'd like to do, uh, like I said, a little bit of an introduction uh, and, and in doing so, enter into this first part, uh, starting with chapter 1. And uh, before I, I start, Isaiah is, has got more prophecies dealing with Jesus Christ than any of the other prophets. 
That doesn't mean that his are more important or, or anything else. It, what I'm just saying is that he speaks to it a lot. And when I was uh, first searching out to try to understand why so many of my friends were becoming Christians and, and probably to a degree trying to uh, show them why I wasn't going to become... <laughs> Uh, and, and, and studying, but in doing so, studying in the Word. And I've shared with you various parts of my testimony over the years. Uh, but one of the key things that really ministered to my understanding and belief in the Word of God was the number of prophecies that have already been fulfilled and the detail that is involved in the sense of, of, of Fulfilling them, and Josh McDowell uh, has uh, two books that I, I, I well three that I recommend, and one of them could be bought in in one volume now, uh, and it's Evidence that Demands a Verdict, Volume One and Volume Two, and like I said, I think you can buy it in one volume now, and the other one is a, a much easier book to read, and it's just more than a carpenter, and it's it's an amazingly put together. Uh, set of scriptures and references and things. And Josh McDowell, his goal when he started writing these things and studying it was to disprove the resurrection. So I figured if, 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 if anybody could figure this thing out, reading some of his stuff might help me. And obviously, you can see what happened. And uh, so, uh, Chuck Swindoll pointed out in his outline that, 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 uh, of these three points, he said, uh, the many prophecies point so clearly to Christ and are fulfilled in Him and thereby constitute an unanswerable argument for the inspiration of the book. In other words, the inspiration of, of, of the book of Isaiah is, is clear, if nothing else, because of the amount of prophecies in Christ that are fulfilled in Him that we can look back to and say, that, that's got to be real. It's got to be true. It, it defends the inspiration. Um, so, I just wanted to share that as we got started this morning. Um, the author. It's interesting to me that the, the author will be spoken of. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, different people say there could be multiple authors of this. Uh, if you go with the three-part thing, that each part was authored by a different uh, uh, person, uh, or there might be six or seven or eight contributors, some of the poetry and stuff like this. What it is is that Isaiah answers the question from the very beginning. Verse 1, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, Kings of Judah. Who wrote and put this together? Whose visions were it? They were that of Isaiah. Uh, it shows that he, he the, the time that he was writing there during those kingships put him basically, and I, and I say approximately at this point, 739 to 681 B.C. Okay, that's important to me because that's you know 700 years uh, approximately uh, uh, or well, you know, 400 to 500 years at least before the time of Christ. 
And and so if you start at 739, you'd say almost 750 years before the time of Christ. And to see, again, these prophecies, something written 700 plus years before it happens, to be so specific and so clear, especially when we get into the second section in the suffering servant. And, and it's amazing. So the author, Isaiah, uh, by the way, the name Isaiah, uh, is, the, the meaning for it is salvation of Yahweh. Interesting name. Again, uh, the names all have such special meanings. The salvation of Yahweh. He was right, and he, his primary responsibility or area that he was prophesying to and, and, and teaching and, and speaking to was Jerusalem, the city, and Judea, the nation. Now, BJ already covered this. The, the nations of Israel had been split into two parts. Ten tribes in the northern part, and it was called, they, they used the name, the, the kingdom of Israel, and the two tribes of the southern part, Judah. Or Judea, and so that is the the two divisions there now, and so um, Israel, the nation of Israel, had been had slipped away, got into idolatry and 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 uh, uh, terrible terrible sins, sacrifice even of of, of their uh, children, and. Uh, God, in a judgment, allowed them to be taken over by the, the country, the nation of, uh, of Assyria. And so that has already happened uh, in, in Israel. Now Judea is beginning to, is following this same pattern. And, and the nation that is threatening them is that of Babylon. And so uh, this is the, the, the background to this. Uh, the, the people, the Hebrew people, are doing exactly what they did all through the book of Judges. That, we, as we saw, they, they have you know this this high spot where they they get rid of all the altars of the idols and they bring everything down, return to the Lord, and 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 just really worship God, follow His commandments. They 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 draw close together as a nation, and God blesses them with with crops and the rain and everything. But He tells them, if you if you if you fall away from this. You know he'll withhold the rain. He'll you know do these different things uh, to draw them back. God's judgments weren't punitive in the sense of oh he's gonna you know like he's spanking them or or something like that. They were intended to break them, to bring them to their knees and and let them see that God is actually doing this because He loves them and is trying to draw them back into His presence. So you see this up and down going on. Well, it's still going on. It was going on through the nation of, of, of Israel, and now it's going on in Judea. And so that's what we see here. And so uh, we start with verse 2 of chapter 1. It says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And I want you to understand what he's saying there. He says, and and it's a harsh thing in a sense that he's putting down here. Dumb animals. Now, when I say dumb, 
I mean animals that can't reason and think in the sense of speaking. Okay? Uh, animals are, are, are instinctive. They, you know, they don't sit back, you know, like I always say, my dog doesn't sit back and think, oh, I'm a Labrador. You know, uh, it, 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 it does what dogs do. You know, I mean, and, and it's natural, it's instinctive. Okay, so these animals, by, by, in a sense, in, in, by instinct, they know who their owner is, and it says the donkey, its master's crib, which means where it gets fed. Okay, they know who their owner is and they know where they get fed and they, and, and, and they do the things they need to do to receive those things. And they do it automatically in a sense. Then he says, you know, these children that he's rid that are in rebellion against him, he says, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. He says, but people who have the ability to reason, the ability to think, are being stupid. And I know that it's trite to put it that way, but I want you to see the intent there. They're, they're, not, they're not using their, their thinking. They've been through all the blessings that God has done. Think of going back to Egypt, being delivered, all the things that happened, and, and, and this is part of their history that they rehearse over and over and over again. And then they turn around and they say, oh, but we're going to ignore... God. And he's, you know, he says, animals are smarter than people when it comes to those kinds of things. So, he says, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. It's you know this this picture of 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 you know they have forsaken the Lord. They have completely drawn away from Him. And yet, if you were looking at what they were doing uh, in in a sense of habitual religion, they were doing all the things that they were told to do. Uh, you know, uh, he says to them, what are, what are your, the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. What's the purpose of them? What's the meaning of them? Uh, I have enough, uh, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs of, of goats, or, or of lambs or of goats. And, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, he's asked for these. In his word, it says these are the offerings to bring. And yet he says he doesn't delight in them. He, they, they mean nothing to him. Why is that the case? Because their heart isn't in it. What did Dave, David discover? He, was, he kept the, the, the rules, you know, as far as format goes. And he ends up with Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Restore unto me a right spirit. He says, when you, uh, verse 12, it says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you the trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Vain means worthless, okay, in this case. 
Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and, and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. In other words, I can't handle your sin here and you coming together in assembly over here thinking that this is worship. Your heart's not in it. I look at, 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 at also what was going on uh, in the sense of, of, of injustice in the, in, in the nation of Judah. Uh, he asked them in verse 16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, Plead the widow's cause. And if you were to look over at verse 23, the last part of verse 23 in this same chapter says, they do not bring justice to the fatherless. And the widow's cause does not come to them. If they had, a, if you were a wealthy person and a widow couldn't keep her payments up because of famine or any kind of cause or problem, they confiscate the property and the woman would be destitute. They weren't taking care of the fathers. You know, one, key things that God says: take care of the women and the orphans, the widows and the orphans, and 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 they they were not doing it because it would take away from their wealth. And the distinction between the wealthy and the and the the poor was very very obvious. And the and the only people that got justice were those who could afford the, the bribes to have them. So if the, if the poor person goes to court with a wealthy person, a landowner, for, let's say, and, and has a just cause, but the wealthy person has the ability to bribe the judge, the judge would take the bribe and rule with the wealthy person. This was the corruption that was going on within the nation of Israel, or Judah. Uh, they, they didn't bring justice. So it says, therefore the Lord declares the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lie and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges at the as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. He says, but first I'm going to have to remove the dross and the alloy. Dross is the stuff that sticks to metal. That that when they're manufacturing different things, you know, making metal things, and and it it it, it can it needs to be cleaned away. Okay, the excess and, and the alloy is the stuff that is put in with the metal that that extends it. But also, for instance, if you put alloy with silver, or alloy with gold. You you can you, you show something that's made of gold, but it, but it's uh, an, uh, put together with an alloy. It, it's not worth as much, is it? Okay, he's saying I want to get back to the original value. I'll remove the dross. I'm going to remove the alloy. By the way, it's, he says part of it. It's done with lie. What do you know about lie? Well, if you scrub anything with it and it gets to your flesh, it burns. 
Okay, and to get rid of the alloy, he has to smelt it all over again. So he's talking about going through some harsh things in order to get back to the base. But God is willing to do what is necessary in order to to bring His people back into His presence. I I, I skipped one thing here just uh, in verse uh, 8. It says, And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Uh, a, 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 da, uh, a, a booth in a vineyard or a lodge in a cucumber field would be a housing or a dwelling surrounded by the field. Okay, So, this, they're going to be surrounded. They're, they're left surrounded. Okay, uh, and, and he, he goes on and says, uh, oh, where did I? Lost my spot. But but anyway, uh, then in the midst of all this judgment, he comes out with a, a, a spot of hope. Verse eighteen: Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he's saying, I'm, I'm, my heart's desire is to do what? Bless you. And when he says that, that their, their, their sins that are scarlet will be white as snow and, and like crimson will be like wool, that's the, the prepared and, and bleached wool that's white, okay? He, he, what he's saying is, I'm prepared to cleanse you. I'm prepared to forgive you and to cleanse you. Just come to me with a David's heart. Back and forth. If you go through the first 37 chapters of this, it's just back and forth like this. They're, they're up, they're down. They're up, they're down. So keep that in your mind as, as we're going through this. This is the, the, the people that Isaiah is coming to. And there's just more of it as you read through this. Within the framework of all of this, I want to hit a couple of key points that are important in this first section. One of it is is the the call that's made to Isaiah. It's and, and I know you've heard it before. I'm not going to do a, a, a an extensive uh, message on it so much as just to remind you. Look at chapter six. In the in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Sounds like we're reading in Revelations chapter 4 and 5 and along in there. Uh, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. This is Isaiah speaking. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What's he saying? I am a sinner. Just like the people of, of Judea, I'm among a group of sinners. He doesn't see himself separate from them, even though God has called him to, to prophesy and, and to teach him. He sees himself nonetheless as one of them who has fallen short of God's glory. And so he, he knows himself. And, and now he sees God and he says, Oh, I'm, I'm undone. I'm doomed is what he's saying. I'm done in. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal uh, that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What had he just received? Forgiveness. God's grace. The idea of, of, of the coal touching his lips was the idea again of that heat, the hot, the, the coming uh, that, that removes. What, in other words, you know, sometimes we have to go through some really tough situations for God to get our attention. Even Isaiah needed to, to, to have this cleansing. And in that process, he, he, he touches his lips. Why, was, why, why specifically the lips, do you think? Okay, what? Okay, his lips were unclean. And what was he going to be doing? Declaring the word of the Lord through his mouth. They cleansed his lips. And that's symbolic of cleansing your words. What does Jesus say about our words? Where do they come from? Our heart. He's, I want you to see that picture because it's implied there. Okay? And, and so Isaiah's call is, is, to, is to receive uh, this commission from God. And he says, uh, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. In other words, for the, he, he feels the, the need to respond to God's call. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. In other words, let it continue. Let them dig their hole. Then I said, How long, O Lord? Have you ever, have, have any of you experienced that in the last weeks, months, as we look around at what's going on, with whether it's politics or whether it's the, uh, the virus or, or, or just man's craziness in general. How long, Lord, is it before you come? And he said, until cities lay waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate, uh, waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it I will it will be burned again like the 
uh, tabernacle or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. Talk about you know what it's going to take to to cleanse his people. God's not going to do any more than he has to do to do it. But he loves us so much. What is the question? He loves us so much that he will not leave us in our sin. By the way, this stump that is left, this remnant that is left, what does it say here? The holy seed is its stump. I have to take you to chapter 11 with this. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and the delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by, by what he, he, his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the, uh, the meek of the earth. And it goes on. Who are we speaking of there? The coming of Christ. The root of Jesse. Okay? And, and so, uh, he's, he's saying the holy seed is its stump. By the way, the word seed here, where does that take us back to? Genesis? Abraham? The crimson thread or the scarlet thread running through Scripture. Another... Uh, Quickly, just another verse that I want to hit before we, we uh, close this morning is uh, 7.14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. And people will say, well, that refers to something that was going on then. This is one of those prophecies that has extended meaning. And I know that it refers to to Jesus. Let me share why. This is the Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 of Gabriel coming to 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 uh, Mary. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a, man, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, and this is the angel coming to Joseph, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they, will be, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. God is with us. How do I know that that was in reference to Jesus? Because Matthew confirms it. And so, we see this, this prophecy of, of the virgin birth of Christ being literally fulfilled and, and it's explained to us. Again, these, these things, just the way they piece together through the Scripture, it's just so awesome. There's another Scripture that, that, is, that we use especially at Christmas time. 
and it's and it's just a maybe a page over from this, uh, and it's in chapter nine. And it says, "The people, verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them was a light uh, has light shined. You have multiplied the nation; you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you." As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad that they have divide, that they divide the spoil, and and it goes on, you know, verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and the name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the, of the increase of the government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and, and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This will happen. Where it says for us a child is born, the word child here uh, is is used in a sense to interpret it's it's a human child a man child, if you will, and the son is given is his reference to God's son in his deity a man God a God man a man of both will be given to you. And where do we see that happen? Well, in in the Gospel of of Luke chapter one. I go through all that work to look it up and then realized I'd already marked it. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He will be great and He will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom there will be no end. Reference to the throne of David going on forever. Again, a fulfillment of that prophecy being foretold here in in Christ. In his, in, in, it's just uh, again the tying of this together. The birth of Jesus Christ is being foretold. So this whole picture uh, of, of what we're looking at is is the coming kingdom, the coming King, uh, Jesus. And that this whole section is, uh, up through verse thirty nine or chapter thirty nine is really dealing with this. Uh, next week we're going to look at at the suffering servant, primarily verses uh, chapters 52 and 53 of Isaiah, but we'll look at uh, several other verses because it talks about uh, John the Baptist. It ta- it's a really powerful section, and again to see it so literally fulfilled in the Gospels. So uh, let's prepare for communion and. Uh, uh, the worship team would come and uh, share in their song with us. And and uh, if you haven't gotten uh, the communion packet, if you didn't pick one up coming in, feel free to go out and pick one up while we're singing. And uh, they're on the table out in the foyer. Take me past the outer courts and through the whole.
is an altar. Lord, I want to see your face. Pass me by the crowds of people, the priests who sing their praise. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, and it's only found one place. Take me into the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the holy of holies. Take the cold, cleanse my lips. Here I am. Take me past the outer courts and through the holy place. Past the brazen altar, Lord, I want to see your face. Pass me by the crowds of people, the priests who sing their praise. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, and it's only found one place. Take me into the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the holy of holies. Take the coal, cleanse my lips. Here I am. So take me into the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the holy of holies. Take the cold, cleanse my lips. Here I am. Take the cold, cleanse my lips, here I am. Take the cold, cleanse my lips, here I am. That could be our prayer for all of us this morning is that call from Isaiah to say, Lord, take the coal, cleanse my lips, make my words your words, cause my heart to be your heart, the heart that that focuses on you. Cleanse me, O Lord. For that to happen, something had to change drastically within the framework of the temple. And that was when Jesus said it is finished. The veil was rent in two. The Holy of Holies was exposed to the outer court. You could catch a glimpse of it. Up to that point, anyone that caught a glimpse of it would die other than the high priest at the prescribed time for him to be back there. In fact, if if he went back unclean, he wouldn't survive. They put a rope around his waist in case something happened that he had to be drug out. Now we're invited in to dwell in the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. That we might be continuously cleansed, continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I think of uh, uh, the Scriptures in Isaiah. I mean, excuse me, uh, in uh, Ephesians. In chapter 5. Words that would be to us today walking through the same kind of world that they were walking through then. Full of sin and people who don't know the Lord are refusing to receive Him. He said, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. This is the heart that we want as we go into and through communion. So, before we take communion, let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, that You, Your Holy Spirit, You would open our hearts to receive from You that mercy, that grace that we so desperately need continuously. Cause us to be reminded not just once a day or twice a day, but frequently through the day of our need to be drawn close to You, to be filled with Your Holy Spirit, that we might minister Your words and Your and, and, and encouragement to those around us. And we recognize, Lord, that as we share in communion, we do so with that understanding of what Christ shared with us. That He came in the flesh, the bread representing His flesh, that He physically died on the cross. Right after the words it was finished, He gave up His Spirit. He was physically dead. He was buried, but He, was, he rose on the third day And that too was physical, bodily. He came in the flesh. We ask, Lord, that as we share the the bread, as we share the cup, You will, in a sense, symbolically, touch our lips with the coal. Cleanse us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's take the bread. Share the cup. Again, Father, we thank You. We worship You. We praise You for all that You have done, are doing, and are yet to do. And when we come to the book of Isaiah, we get to see all of that. And we ask again that You would enrich our walk with You as we go through this study together. Cause us to walk in Your Spirit even now as we leave today to be the the men and women of God that You want us to be. We love You. We worship You. We praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? And uh, Lord bless. Thank You for being here this morning.
Bless, thank you for being here this morning. Don't forget the, these uh, uh, raffle tickets. Uh, I, right now, I'm going to give. Huh? Uh, well, he has to.